From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. It's cooled off this week, thank goodness, but the Pacific Northwest has suffered through punishing heat waves this summer. The first one in late June has been described as ferocious for its intensity, smashing records by as much as nine degrees above the old records. And it was also deadly. In Multnomah County, at least 62 people died of heat-related illnesses. The heat killed nearly 100 people in the state of Oregon and 200 in the Northwest. Then at the end of July and beginning of August, we were hit with another heat wave, though not as severe. Then a third one just last week with three more people in Portland suspected of dying from the heat. One thing seems certain. Scientists say the world can expect more off-the-chart heat waves in the future. Multnomah County just released a report card on its response in June. And in this episode of Straight Talk, we take a look at that. And we look ahead to lessons learned and how we can better protect ourselves. Welcome to my guest, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori, Multnomah County Health Officer Dr. Jennifer Vines, and from Multnomah County Emergency Management, Alice Bush. Welcome to Straight Talk. I appreciate you all being here for this important topic. Thanks for having us. Good to be Thank here. you. Thanks for having us. Chair Kafori, let's begin with you. How would you describe what this summer has been like when it comes to the heat and the impact it's had on the county? I know the deaths, including the possible three additional deaths from the recent heat event, have to be just devastating. It really has been devastating, and I want to acknowledge um, the loss of life and send my condolences to the families and to our entire community. I think that this, on top of what we have gone through as a community in the past 18 months, um, really was was just for a lot of us more than we could take. Um, I, what we what we know is that our world has changed, and while we did expect um, a heat a, a heat event here, we thought it was going to be a far far into the future. Um, in fact, until 2018, the cooling centers that Multnomah County runs were just extended hours at senior centers. I mean, literally, it was like a movie night for, for older people. What we experienced this summer was nothing like that. Um, as soon as I first heard the forecast, I, we immediately positioned to have 24-hour cooling centers. Um, we conducted the largest response ever with thousands of people coming into our cooling centers, our libraries. And the, the effort that we put into um, ensuring that people were set were safe um, was extraordinary, and yet it wasn't enough. And we've all we're all just devastated. Thank you, Chair Kafori. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Dr. Vines, you were on the ground at one of the cooling shelters at the convention center in June, and you had said from the beginning, before the heat wave even started, this was going to be life-threatening heat, not just an inconvenience. Describe what you saw happening in the county during the June heat wave crisis. Certainly. So it was almost hard to believe the forecast, to be honest, but we pushed through that disbelief to plan and respond. And we did make clear or try to make clear that this this was a life threatening situation. And I'm very sorry for the loss of life that came out of that uh, incredible weekend. I spent most of my time at our flagship cooling shelter, which was the Oregon Convention Center. It was a large space that expanded day over day. At one point, we had about 600 people there. Um, there were options for people to bring their pets. So we had uh, cats, dogs, um, and there were people there who had clearly brought their belongings uh, from the street, who were there to, to sleep, and also people who just had stopped in almost like an airport lounge um, with laptops, with pets, uh, getting snacks and just clearly cooling off. 
I will just end by saying we ended up having to train our uh, greeters to have water and ice packs ready because people literally came through the doors uh, really in distress, needing to cool down quickly. And Dr. Vines, you work with the medical examiner. Is there anything you can tell us yet about these three additional deaths that happened in this most recent heat wave? I can only share what we've uh, shared already, which is that these are uh, preliminary uh, findings of hyperthermia, which is literally death from excessive heat. These are all pending confirmation by the medical examiner, but this is the best information we have based on the um, really amazing work that our medical death investigators do. Thank you, doctor. I'm going to bring Allison in just a moment, but I want to let our viewers see some stats from this most recent report and our listeners can listen in on here to the stats. Multnomah County released its preliminary report card. It's an evaluation of its response to the June extreme heat wave. And here are just a few takeaways. There were three consecutive days of record temps, 108, 112 and a searing 116. The county coordinated with 100 agency and organizational partners, launched three cooling shelters, served 1,400 overnight guests, provided 6,330 meals, opened nine libraries as cooling spaces. But despite the largest sheltering and outreach operation for a heat wave in county history, as the chair was talking about, 62 people died from hyperthermia. The majority of those who died were older, white, and living alone in apartment buildings. And Alice, you weren't involved in that June event. You took the lead on writing this report, interviewing hundreds of people. How prepared did you find the county was for that first intense heat wave? And do you think some of those deaths could have been prevented? You know, um, as heroic as all response efforts are during emergencies, there's always more that can be done and we have to do it together. There's, uh, there's strength in our community and people really want to help. And uh, we are doing more and more to uh, help them lean in and succeed in those efforts. I think, our, I think one of our biggest challenges is the complexity of hot weather safety messages. I think what most people don't understand is just how quickly and how often heat kills. Uh, m many of the people uh, that are highest risk, like our older adults, those with underlying health conditions and people who are socially isolated, they're extremely difficult to reach. And even when we do reach them, fierce independence, not wanting to be a burden, concerns about COVID, uh, they all create barriers to getting them to safety. Um, you know, I, I completely agree with Dr. Vines. Uh, I, I truly believe that our cooling centers saved lives. And every incident has multiple protective actions because no single intervention will work for everyone. And I, I, I think addressing this hazard, like all other hazards, is going to require us as a community to come together to um, really start uh, uh, addressing hot weather as the hazard that it is. Thank you, Alice. Let's put the number of deaths in perspective here. Before the heat wave in June, Multnomah County had only two deaths from hyperthermia in all of Oregon since 2010. Now, we aren't used to this extreme heat, and it came early in the season. Dr. Vines, how did that play into how it affected people and the county's response? Mm -hmm. It's hard to say exactly because th there is no comparison for this event. But one of the alarm bells, in addition to the highs that were predicted, and uh, very little overnight cooling. Uh, the fact that it was early in the summer raised alarm bells for us because our bodies will actually acclimate to hot weather, but it takes time. 
Um, so we know uh, through public health studies uh, and from experience that uh, serious heat waves earlier in the summer can be more deadly than later in the summer. And so that was uh, something else that really prompted our all hands on deck response. And what role do you think COVID, the pandemic played into the heat response? Yeah, I think the report captured uh, what I was worried about in the moment, which is that we have socialized people uh, very well around avoiding crowds uh, and especially indoors. And yet we here we were reversing that message and saying, get to a cool place, uh, use a mask, but COVID is really secondary. And I, I, I totally stand behind the direction I gave um, in prioritizing cooling people off with COVID prevention second. But I, I fear that that is uh, what might have made people hesitate um, or uh, simply draw on their independence and not wanting to be a burden and not wanting to uh, risk a COVID exposure uh, in, in their decisions for how to respond. We're talking about trying to stay cool, uh, Chair Kafori, a big problem is a lack of air conditioning for many people. Are you considering requiring AC and multifamily dwellings and affordable housing? Well, um, we are really looking at at every option available and um, we're working with with different partners as well. Um, we're working with multifamily uh, apartment owners. We're working with our local community nonprofits who own and operate um, who own and operate low income housing. And we're working with our legislators to remove barriers in the, at the state level that prohibit some individuals from from using air conditioning, um, even if they had them. We know that just like with the COVID crisis that we're still going through, there's just not really simple answers. Um, Alice talked about having uh, individual responses to each individual issue. For some people, they had air conditioning, but for some reason they weren't using it. Maybe they were afraid of um, the cost or they, uh, they, didn't, they just didn't really understand the gravity of the situation. Well, I understand you're planning to use some county funds to buy air conditioning for low income individuals. What's the timeline for that? Well, we have a, a pretty small uh, weatherization team at the county. Um, we've been working for years to help low income families and individuals um, upgrade their homes. We, we had been focused in the past on, on creating, having them be warm in the winter. And now obviously we're looking at helping people be cool in the summer. The, the city of Portland also has a fund, um, the Clean Energy Fund that the voters passed um, a couple of years ago that has funds that I'm, I understand that they're going to be utilizing to assist people to purchase uh, heat pumps and other um, ways of being energy efficient while you're trying to cool your homes. Really, there, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, some, some of them are short term solutions. Some of them are longer term solutions. Well, talking about longer term solutions, you're also doing some research to see where heat islands are in the city and the role that that plays in heat waves. Alice, can you tell us more about that or Chair Kafori and, and what impact that will have? Who would like to take that question? Well, I'll start, I'll kick it off. Um, the city of Portland in conjunction with Portland State has done some heat island mapping, but um, that really leaves out east Multnomah County, and we know that there's a lot of folks of color. There's a lot of people who live on, on low income that are living in that part of, of our community. So we are funding a small grant to do that study in East Multnomah County, where um, where we know the heat islands exist, but they just haven't received the same amount of attention. We have over the years been focusing on planting trees in East Multnomah County um, in, in working in partnership with our um, 
our sustainability office. And I think um, last year, in fact, the county and community partners planted 400 trees in Gresham. So um, we know that it, this is an issue and we're working really hard on it. Alice, let me bring you back in. What changes does the report recommend for future heat waves? And what did we do differently in this most recent heat wave than we did in the June heat wave? Uh, I think, you know, uh, when the chair asked for this initial findings report, uh, she was very clear that uh, we are we were not done with summer and uh, we performed surveys, interviews and over 15 hours of workshops that uh, allowed us to begin incorporating improvements immediately. So during these uh, most recent uh, hot weather events, uh, we initiated unified command, which is a much higher level of coordination and allows us to leverage our partnerships and the strengths that uh, I mentioned earlier that already exist in our communities, those relationships that are deep. And uh, we started a joint information system that allowed us to amplify messages of our partners and uh, created uh, systems and resources for our community-based organizations. Uh, the, some of the uh, organizations that Chair Kafori mentioned, like our affordable housing partners, our faith communities, uh, they took a lot of the tools that we were able to provide and uh, brought them to their communities uh, that they already had existing relationships with. And uh, we also hosted a lot of webinars. We heard in from the June uh, lessons that uh, people were unsure how to help out. So we hosted uh, webinars uh, that uh, helped people get a little bit more comfortable with uh, staffing cooling centers, with um, the resources that we had available for them to use to do this work themselves. Um, I think, uh, I, I think one of the other uh, pieces was uh, getting information really readily available to people was um, 211. And uh, we worked uh, very closely with 211 to make sure that we were clear on deliverables and made that uh, system as easy as possible for people to get um, the life saving information that they needed. Well, I know 211 had some problems in the June heat wave with uh, being shut down, so it looked like it was. Um, 24 seven uh, once this latest heat wave hit. I, I did want to talk about some welfare checks with Dr. Vines. Many of the people who died lived alone in apartments, mobile homes, even some of the affordable apartments owned and operated by the city's housing authority home forward. And the Oregonian reported home forward leaders acknowledged they didn't go door to door during that heat wave. What outreach can be done, do you think, Dr. Vines, that will make a difference next time? Mm -hmm. I think we did quite a bit of outreach as part of this heat response. I think the answer lies in the notion that uh, as wonderful as our county and city and partners are, we can't be everywhere all the time. And so we really need uh, families, friends, neighbors to take our heat warning seriously, to check on people they know might be alone and to make a plan. So people can be overtaken by high heat in a matter of minutes, depending on how hot it is. But we also saw uh, and know that after about two days of extreme heat, people's bodies and the body's ability to maintain uh, its own temperature uh, will actually start to give out. So I think there definitely is room for more outreach on our part. I think the larger call to action is that we as a community need to be looking out for each other and our environments matter. So knowing our neighbors matters and having family and friends uh, who can uh, check on you and know how to talk to you and say the right thing to get you to a cool space, I think that's what's gonna save lives. Thank you, Dr. Vines. It's time for us to take a break. When we come back, 
What can we do as we face a changing climate and more heat waves? And we'll ask Chair Kafori whether she plans to run for governor. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about preparing for the extreme weather events we're seeing with the changing climate. And welcome back to my guests, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori, the County Health Officer, Dr. Jennifer Vines, and from the County's Office of Emergency Management, Alice Bush. Once again, welcome back to Straight Talk. It's nice to have you here. We're gonna talk first about the climate crisis and scientists say we're in a climate crisis that's accelerating. Here's what Philip Moat, a climate scientist at Oregon State told us. And looking to the future, uh, you know, we, we are uh, continuing to look at uh, the possibility of a really uh, scary amount of warming. Alice, what do you think the county, state of Oregon, and individuals need to do to prepare for what's ahead? Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll take a piece of that and then I'm going to turn this to uh, Chair Kafori. Uh, the preparing for any disaster is the same, and that is. Uh, community connections. Uh, the more people you know, the more resources you have available to you. And uh, there's no, no research that tells us it's a kit of any kind. It's really um, neighbors helping neighbors and uh, connecting with your community. Uh, the same as is true for all uh, disaster preparedness. As far as uh, uh, how to address uh, climate change as our county, I think Chair Kafori has some uh, great um, ideas for that. And Chair Kafori, what more can the county be doing to address climate change? Well, we've been um, focused on climate change for quite a while. In fact, um, we passed last year in partnership with the city of Portland, a uh, renewable, 100% uh, renewable energy goal by 2035. It's pretty audacious and we, are, we plan to get there. We have long implemented energy efficiency codes in our buildings. Um, we talked earlier about weatherizing housing for low-income individuals and, and tree canopies. We're doing a lot here locally. I think the issue is, and, and I'm not trying to, to punt this issue, but really this is something that's not just gonna be solved at the local level. We need the same type of urgency um, at the congressional level that they focus on other issues. We just, we haven't seen it out of, out of our federal delegation and our entire country needs to embrace the fact that climate change is here, it's human caused, and it's going to be devastating unless we do something about it now. It is a global threat. Dr. Vines, we've been talking about the heat, but we have another crisis we're all in the middle of, the crisis of COVID and the Delta variant. Can you tell us what's happening in Multnomah County and what you want people to know? Sure, thank you for giving me a minute to acknowledge the crisis happening right now because of the Delta variant. This is the version of the COVID-19 virus that emerged in just a matter of months and is now the dominant strain across our state. It is more infectious. It is finding its way easily to people who are unvaccinated and filling hospitals to our south uh, out of Roseburg and in Bend, Central Oregon. Hospitals are full to overwhelmed. And Dr. Absalon, who's out of St. Charles Healthcare, has said publicly very simply, they are rationing care. And his plea to the public on behalf of the many doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers who continue to show up during this time was simple. He said, get vaccinated, wear a mask, and until you are fully vaccinated, avoid any kind of social gathering and otherwise take care of yourself. Now is not the time to do anything risky because there is not necessarily a hospital bed 
with, comp- you know, with staff for you. I will say in Multnomah County, the Portland Metro Area Hospitals are tracking the situation very closely. They are also in surge status uh, and are not too far behind uh, the systems to our south and east. So this really is a very serious moment that we need everyone to take seriously. You know, you reflect on that. You think this is what we were trying to avoid over a year ago, trying to flatten the curve. And here we are. It seems like in a worse situation than we were then. Absolutely, and the the irony and what is uh, an, an additional burden to the healthcare uh, workers who are responding is that the vaccine is still remarkably effective at preventing severe disease against the Delta variant. So it is very good at keeping people out of the hospital. Not perfect, but very, very good. So there is a path out of this. And again, urging people to get vaccinated, wear a mask and take extra good care for the next several weeks as we make our way through this surge. Thank you, Dr. Vines. And while I have you here, Chair Kafori, I have to ask you about your future political plans. We're hearing about potential candidates jumping into the race for governor. Your name has been mentioned. You've served as a lawmaker in the Oregon legislature. You've also been an executive in the government serving as chair in Multnomah County since 2014. Where do you see yourself serving in your next role as an executive, as governor possibly, or possibly in Congress with the new sixth district seat that Oregon's getting? Where do you see your future? Well, I'll be honest, Laurel, I, 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 kept, I keep thinking I'm going to have some time to reflect. I mean, all of the decisions um, about one's future are, are, very, are, are very heavy. And um, you may have heard that my husband is working in Washington, D.C. for the Biden administration, which is um, creating an unusual dynamic in our family right now. Um, I just haven't had, I keep thinking I'm going to have some time to, to reflect on where I'm going to go next. And I really haven't had that time. I'm hoping that we're not going to have any more heat waves, that the COVID surge will be over and done with, and then I can have a little peace and quiet. But I'm not, um, I'm not holding my breath right now. So I don't have any news to, to offer today. Well, the political season usually kicks into higher gear after Labor Day. When do you think you might decide if you're running? Well, I would like things to calm down a little bit so I can decide. Um, but in all seriousness, I'm sure I'll be um, I'm talking with the other folks who are, are running, and if, if, the, if there's someone who, who offers what I believe is a great vision for our state, then I don't know that I'll feel the urge to do it. I, I love serving Multnomah County. I, um, being Multnomah County Chair has been the best job that, that one could ever, ever hope for, and I, I don't feel like now is a time for me to step aside to do something else. I really need to focus on on the folks who I am, have been elected to represent right now. So you haven't mentioned Congress. Is that off the table? Um, you know, there's, I, I never say never. Um, being in elected office for a long time and, and watching what my, what my colleagues have done, sometimes things open up that you weren't expecting. And you, as long as you're ready to make that move, um, you can. I don't think that my congressman uh, Earl Blumenauer is going anywhere right now, so um, I'm not. I'm not actually focused on on Congress at this time. Well, I want to uh, go back to Alice. We have about a minute left for you, Alice. Is there a, a bottom line, a final message you'd like to leave with our viewers on the heat wave report? Um, I think I'd like to think a little bit even more globally than that, and and to start it by saying all disasters are local. Um, first responders, by definition, are the folks that are the first to arrive and render aid. 
that means our most important asset is our community connections. The people that we, uh, the people that make the most difference are our neighbors and loved ones. And so I think uh, I'd like to remind everyone that uh, preparing for any disaster is easy. Get to know each other, talk to your family, talk to your friends, and know that you can make a difference. Well, that's a good message left. Uh, Dr. Bynes, about 15, 20 seconds, do you have a final thought? I would just echo what Alice said. Our actions affect each other in ways known and unknown, and COVID-19 is a really good example of that. So again, on behalf of everyone who's responded to this pandemic and continues to respond, please get vaccinated. Well, thank you, Chair Kafori, Dr. Vines, and Alice Bush for joining us. And thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time for Straight Talk. Have a great week.